0: Hello, this is Tony Campolo, and we're about to engage in a radio show entitled From Across the Pond, so named because we put the show together here in the United States, which is on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean from the United Kingdom. And the Brits often refer to the Atlantic Ocean as the pond. And so these are reflections of two Christians, Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo, who are on uh, the U.S. side of the pond. We try to promote red-letter Christianity. Could you kind of give us a glimpse of red-letter Christianity, Shane?
1: Yeah, well, the old Bibles have the words of Jesus
0: in When them. you say old and Bibles, you when, know—
1: When we actually uh, didn't read the Bible on our phones, yeah, but, but we had but books you, that— Yeah, you you, you could uh, open it up, and, um, you know, most of the words are in black, but when you got to the New Testament, and particularly when you got to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the—, the uh, when Jesus would speak, it would be in red. Do you know pop out at you.
0: Do you know that there are very few Bibles in the United Kingdom that do what is done here in the United States? Highlight the words of Jesus with red letters. Yeah. So a lot of times people on the other side of the pond uh, don't know what we're talking about when we say, go to your Bible, turn to the New Testament. Yeah,
1: exactly. So that's why we got to explain it. But we also learned that this goes all the way back to Ignat- Ignatius, who uh, wrote... Um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and and he he thought these are. I really want to make sure I'm paying attention to these. So he would write them. And in a lot of traditions, liturgical traditions, um, we read different passages of the scripture. But then when the gospels are read, everybody stands up. Not yes. to say the other stuff doesn't matter, but just to say let's have a really uh, Close acute attention. hearing to these. Yeah. So yeah. that's what we're doing. And and ironically, I think part of what we've seen is that. Um, At least for me, the the church that I grew up in, um, the more I fell in love with Jesus, the more I found myself at odds with some of the things that evangelicalism, uh, white evangelicalism in particular, had become really distinctively characterized as, you know, pro-guns, anti-women, pro-military, pro—you know, it was very, very much like as I saw these things, I saw a deep contrast. So um, I decided to— Cling to Jesus, and, and we needed new language. You know, we, we wanted to uh, have uh, something that unites those of us that are trying to live as disciples and followers of Jesus. And so, red letter Christianity is uh, a big umbrella. And so, hopefully, it's, uh, it seems like it's really resonating with a lot of people in the UK and around the world. Um, but more than anything, we just, we're just going, we want a Christianity that looks like Jesus again.
0: You know, one of the benefits of being part of liturgical churches. Um, the Anglican Church, the Roman Catholic Church, um, the um, Methodist Church. uh, One of the benefits of being connected with liturgical churches is they uh, spend as much time reading from the Gospels on Sunday morning as reading from uh, other parts of the Bible, like the epistles. And so uh, you, you get that emphasis on the Gospels and on the words of Jesus. Um, That's how Francis Assisi of Assisi got going with his movement. Uh, He went to uh, the cathedral in Florence one Sunday with a good friend. And as they sat in the pew, uh, Francis said uh, to his friend, you know, let's make a promise. When they read from the Gospels and they read the words of Jesus, whatever Jesus tells his followers to do, let's do. And so he and his friend sat there, and Francis of Assisi heard them read from both Luke and from Matthew, where Jesus says to his disciples, uh, go out and uh, preach the message. Go from village to village. Take nothing with you. Uh, Take no food. Only take the clothes on your back and and the sandals that you're wearing and beg as you go along, and uh, if any community refuses to feed you, uh, shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next community. And so they they looked at each other and said, that's what we're going to do, and that's how the Franciscan movement started. Uh, Francis is undoubtedly the first red-letter Christian uh, who, in fact, said, Mm -hmm. we're going to do exactly what Jesus told us to do. I got to tell you, I call myself a red-letter Christian, but I, I... I haven't uh, left everything and walked from town to town uh, uh, with nothing except the clothes on my back and the sandals that I'm wearing. Uh, and uh, I haven't done that. Francis did. That's how the whole movement called Franciscan movement got started, as somebody taking seriously what Jesus said. Mm. And when he said, Love your enemies, to Francis, that meant, Well, if I'm going to love my enemies right now, we're engaged in wars with the Muslims uh, down in Egypt. I'm going to go down and stand against the Crusades that are killing Muslims, and I'm going to try to get Muslims and Christians to treat each other as brothers and sisters, uh, children of God. Mm -hmm. Uh, He did this radical stuff. He would have nothing to do with violence, Uh, and uh, uh, he would have loved your movement of uh, melting down guns. because that would be right in line with the Francis that we read about in history, me, uh, the Red Letter Christian Movement. Uh, tell me a little more about what it's doing these days.
1: Well, I think there, there's a lot of different things that are happening that are pretty exciting, but one of them is, has everything to do with this uh, kind of alternative economics. Uh, you know, the, One of the early Christians, um, they said, uh, we, we have no house, but we have homes everywhere we go. Mm. So it was th- there was this idea that God is not leaving us to suffer in poverty, but God is inviting us into a new way of thinking about economics and abundance and God's provision. So as we, even, even as we think of what it means to be born again, as we leave our biological family, we enter into a really big family with lots of mothers and brothers and sisters and, and, um, uh, and you know, just as many hands make for light work, um, we we often say in community, many wallets make for cheaper rent. You know, so there's a way that we find abundance in that. And I think part of why Jesus sent the disciples out with nothing was so that they would they would discover that um, abundance of hospitality and love, and that we don't all need to hoard everything. Like um, we need to share everything. And and it, it's a so as 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 you look at the early church, one of the things that's so exciting is um, when the Holy, Holy Spirit falls on them at Pentecost, they do speak in tongues and all kinds of miracles and beautiful things happen. But one of the um, poignant things that it says in Acts is that they all started sharing everything they had and no one claimed any of their possessions were their own. Um, they held their possessions with open hands. It even says they put their offerings at the feet of the apostles and they were distributed to folks as they had need. And it eventually says there were no needy persons among them. So some of what I think we see happening is um, this idea of community and abundance. But, you know, that it, it, it's a new economy. It's a new way of thinking about how we hold our possessions. Um, and it comes at a great time because I think a lot of folks realize that the world can't afford the American dream. I mean, the average American is consuming the same amount as 500 people in you know, parts of Africa. Like, we, we've got to have a different dream for how we live uh, in the world. So, um, we started this organization s- sort of inspired by that vision of sharing. Um, and I should say, like, all through scripture, we see this idea of sharing, um, you know, the Jubilee of the Old Testament, that property is to be redistributed, slaves set free, debt forgiven, land allowed to rest. So, there's a different way of thinking about just, uh, how we, how much we consume and dispose of, uh, uh, everything. But anyway, you know, as we, we started reading about the offerings of the church, Tony, um, there's a great theologian, he's uh, passed away now, Ray Mayhew over in the UK, and he wrote a paper called embezzlement, the sin of the contemporary church. (laughs) (laughs) And so what he showed, uh, and there's studies like the empty tomb project and others that show like, um, most denominations, um, like people are not tithing, first of all. They're giving like, you know, very little of their money. Two or three but even percent the money them, that yeah. is given, sure. Um, ninety-five percent of that money is staying internally to maintain mainly buildings and staff, and some would argue to do great programs, but it is almost the antithesis of the economy that we see in the early church where um Missions and sharing with the poor wasn't a, a budget item. It was it was the budget. <laughs> it was what they were doing. So we we started a a, a group called the, originally called the Relational Tithe, where we give ten percent of our incomes together, and a hundred percent of that money uh, goes to meet direct needs of neighbors. And the only requirement for presenting a need is that we know the person. So we don't give money to organizations or charities or uh, people we read about newsletters, it's all very locally based. And well, and now, you know, 10, 15 years later, it's a whole movement around the world called Common Change.
0: Yeah, I, I see it. I have a brochure in my hand right now, which is uh, uh, which has uh, on the back www.commonchangeuk. Yeah. Tell me about that.
1: What? Yeah. So it's this, this.
0: Because it has your picture on the inside. <laughs> As the founder, <laughs> I haven't even uh, seen yeah. that thing. That's uh, great. You know, you you're it, there. It is. I'm, I'm, you, this is not television. I'm holding it up, and yeah. here's a pic photograph of Shane Claiborne as a key person in the Common Change movement.
1: Yeah. Well, I started it. You know, with with a friend of mine, Darren Peterson, and now there's groups all over the world, and there's actually a whole movement in the UK of this. But the idea is ancient. You know, it's it's this. This idea that let's pull our money together and make sure that we share it with those among us who are in
0: need. So if they they went to WWW, Common Change UK, what would they be instructed to do? They would
1: find these clusters of folks around uh, their own region that are doing that. And this is what's so important about it, is that it is hyper-local. It is groups that are sharing locally, but sometimes our economics end up being quite segregated, right? So like in my neighborhood, we don't have a ton of money. So we're able to share with a bigger collective than just our own. So for instance, what it looks like really practically is the corner store in my neighborhood got robbed uh, by gunpoint. And we were able to go to the family and say, man, this this is terrible. We want to do everything we can to make sure this doesn't happen again. Meanwhile, how much money did you lose? You know, $1,000. Well, there's a group of us that we've follow Jesus. We believe in bearing each other's burdens and sharing our resources. So we'd like to um, pass the hat and, and uh, help you bear the burden that you received of this, you know, terrible thing that happened to you. So we give them a thousand dollars. You know, a neighbor's car was vandalized. Their, sl- car, their tires were slashed and we're able to do that. We've, we've gotten old people dentures. We've helped young people go to college. Um, all and, and every single one of these needs has a name. It's not just an organization, but it's someone that we're living in proximity to and relationship with. Um, John and Wilson Hartgrove and the folks down in North Carolina have their own cluster, and we've got ours in Philly, so there's clusters in the U.K. So, yeah, it's, it's a really great vision, and um, we're starting jobs in Cuba. We're doing all kinds of stuff, So it, but it's all kind of based on the local uh, community that's there. and gives, well, gives them access to uh, resources beyond ourselves.
0: Well, let me just give you something in your own life. Uh, about uh, several years ago, I guess 10 years ago, your, your house burned down. Yeah. And uh, uh, like within 48 hours, $150,000 uh, came into our office because you were op- operating out of our office at that time. And uh, what did you do with all that money?
1: Yeah, well, we set up two accounts, first of all. One was for the families in the neighborhood, and the other one was for our nonprofit in and, and, uh, the simple way. And so our first goal was to stabilize the families that lost their homes. So we we helped uh, each family either repair their house or, you know, stabilize in a different, you know, house. Yeah, because and this
0: fire not only burned down your house. It
1: affected 100 families in our neighborhood, wow. you know. Wow. Um, and uh, uh, cars blew up. I mean, you know, it was just it, the whole neighborhood was destroyed. Um, and, and then, you know, over the years, though, we've been able to rebuild that. And what we saw was not only from people outside the neighborhood pouring in money, but the neighborhood came together. So the, the, the Red Cross set up a shelter because 100 families were displaced. And they came like two hours later and they said, check this out. Nobody ended up staying in the shelter because everybody in your neighborhood opened their homes up to each other. So literally, like my neighbors saw people on the street with their dogs and cats and said, I'll be the temporary pet shelter. You know, another neighbor started cooking and people just took care of each other. And so I, I, I think that's exactly what we're you know, trying to do now through Common Change and um, uh, continue to create a way where not just in crises, but we can have a pool of money that when there's a need among us, we have a way to, of meeting it.
0: Yeah. Um, in the second chapter of Acts... Uh, those of you who are listening, uh, you're talking. we're talking to Shane Claiborne, uh, who is one of the leaders of a movement called uh, Common Change, and uh, it's reached around the world, but especially active in the United Kingdom. And uh, uh, Shane and I do this show every week at this time. We call it Across the Pond because we put the show together here in a studio at Cabrini University, which is just across the uh, road from... Uh, Eastern University. Eastern is a Baptist Evangelical University. Cabrini is a Roman Catholic University. And we share a lot of our resources, and one of the resources that they share with us is their studio. They have a state-of-the-art studio. So the quality of the broadcasting is probably pretty good because, hey, we do it at a Catholic (laughs) university, and uh, it, it has to be blessed. It has
1: many good things, but not a the best studio in the world. So yeah. yeah,
0: So here we are, and uh, but we're talking about um, today a common change, and I'm exploring with uh, Shane this movement that gets Christians to do what the early Christians did in the second chapter of uh, of uh, Acts. It says, if you read that chapter, that in the early church, if any, if there was a need anywhere, uh, that they shared their resources. To meet that need. yeah, And uh, there was this huge fire at a factory uh, in your neighborhood that spread to the houses. I mean, one of those gigantic fires that not only burned down the factory, but burned down houses all over the place. Mm-hmm. And uh, you began to get people to share their resources and help each other out in this hour of need. What I find particularly interesting is that eventually, uh, the bulldozers cleared the huge area where this factory was located, the factory that had the fire that then spread to all these houses and it's now a field, uh, but, uh, good news. It's a yeah, You've done it, something with the field. Talk about the field.
1: We, we started calling it Phoenix park, you know, cause the Phoenix rises from the fire and it rose out of the ashes of that fire. And now we've got gardens and we've got a greenhouse and aquaponic <clears throat> system where we have fish and plants growing together. We've got murals and, um, but we, we're we working together with Esperanza Health Center, which is an incredible faith-based uh, health center. And by health, I mean like they do medical stuff. So they have doctors and nurses and dentists, but they also think very holistically about health. So their um, nutrition and uh, physical exercise and um, counseling and moms supporting each other, parenting workshops, all kinds of things like that are a part of um, that, even affordable housing is a part of community health, you know? So we're building a community center now they are and um and it's it's going to be uh, a an just transformation of everything but all that i think we realized that there is a wealth that comes in the context of people who ironically are living simply and holding their possessions openly and and we've, we've seen the abundance of that um and you look in contrast to the church and the, 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 the studies that are out there show they even break it down by denomination, but most denominations are spending 2%, 3% of their money in actually meeting needs of neighbors and going out to folks that are struggling. Um, and, uh, and now we have, you know, televangelist Kenneth Copeland's uh, video has gone viral. Like 10 million pe- people watched it as he defends. Uh, paying millions of dollars for a private plane, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think that's the, 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 the heartbreaking thing to me is much of the name it and claim it prosperity preachers and televangelists have a very different gospel. It's a gospel that is very much about finding your own life and, you know, succeeding finally financially and being debt free. And those may, may be great things, but they have very little to do with the actual gospel. I think of Jesus. So I,
0: I think that, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. If you take it seriously, if you read the fifth, sixth, and seventh chapters of Matthew, take it seriously, you would end up being very anti-materialistic. You would be it's hard to justify a private plane yeah, when Jesus rolled a, yeah. a donkey. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but, but you know we we realize that a lot of this isn't brand and new. And it wasn't <laughs> his
0: donkey. No, right? he borrowed it from some people. Yeah, and th- note the style. He sent his disciples to go go to the town, <laughs> and uh, there's going to be you're going to find a donkey. Tell Tell the owner of the donkey, the Lord has need of this. That's right. That's the way it started. We'll bring you a sucker back. Yeah. So it know? wasn't yeah. his. Yeah, we'll bring it back it's when like, it's, it's all over. Like Jesus over.
1: riding Uber or Lyft, you know. Like, <laughs> but the the um, and it was even a a cult. No, there's
0: a line I hadn't heard. Jesus <laughs> was Uber. You know, if you need a donkey, go to the, and get it.
1: And it was even a cult. And a lot of folks that do you know great theology, they point out how different that was from the 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 usual ride of a commander-in-chief or a king or Caesar, you know, was to ride a war horse, a stallion with a whole entourage of stallions like a stretch limo, you know, or a SUV and Jesus rides a donkey. But, you know, as we looked at this, we saw um, one of the inspirations for us was a group of Christians that they didn't have medical care and they decided, you know, we hope our government can do better, but meanwhile we've got each other and that's all we've got. We're going to take care of each other. So every month they began to put out a newsletter of who was in the hospital and what the medical bills were. And they would pass the hat. Um, And it started just as two or 300 people, just a small community. And it began to snowball. And every month they would begin pulling money together to meet medical needs. And now I'm a part of that collective. A lot of us are because we we haven't had healthcare and um, we um, have about 20,000 people now that are pulling money together every month. We still get a newsletter, who's in the hospital, how to pray for each other, but we pull money together now, and it's over uh, $15 million a year. We've done over $500 million in bill sharing. And, um, And, you know, some folks would go, well, is that the answer to the healthcare crisis? We go, no, but the church can do better too. And sometimes in the UK, when you do have good health care and stuff, it, it starts to feel like, what? where does the church play? And I think like groups like Common Change. And I'll tell you can, where the
0: church has a role to play. The role of the church is to make sure that the government Helps poor people. Yeah, yeah, we we have to be a pressure group that calls the government to accountability, uh, to be the conscience of the government, saying, "Are you taking care of people healthwise, especially poor people?" Yeah, the the church is involved in helping uh, with health care, but n- not just on the personal level, which you're doing, but on the societal level, on the organizational, on the governmental level.
1: Yeah, and but the groups like this, Common Change, I think we can like more than anything. It's stirring the imagination to go, what could we do as a little group? We've even had students, I, I know folks in prison that make like a dollar a day that pull their money together and they are able to send it wherever, or, or sometimes someone will come into prison that doesn't have a support network and they'll help uh, him get toilet paper or deodorant or the things that he needs in prison, you know? And so there, the, the question, I guess, for all of us is, are there ways that we can pull our money together? And share it like the early church did. You know, maybe it's 10%. That's what we started with. Maybe it's more than that. But we create a way that we can share and that we can bear each other's burdens because it's not just about the money. You know, some people say, oh, you you know, this sounds like socialism or communism or something. The fact is that the early church, the money was the description, not the prescription. They loved one another and so they shared everything they had. It's not that they shared everything they had and they had community. They had community, and that meant sharing, and we sure have a lot to learn from that.
0: And it was an outgrowth of uh, community. Outgrowth, yeah. Yeah, many years ago, and I don't know that this is still going on, but there was a Christian guy living under Waterloo Bridge there in London, and he began to preach the Sermon on the Mount to these uh, homeless people under Waterloo Bridge. This was about 25 years ago, so I don't know whether it's still going on. But he got them to the point where, you know, they are out on the street begging for money all the time. They said, well, shouldn't we share what we have uh, collected on the street? Some of you are better at intimidating people than others. (laughs) And uh, so can we share? And if somebody needs medical care or needs medicine that they can't afford or has a relative that's in deep need, can't we share what we've collected and uh, have a kind of uh, mutual helping each other out? Uh, In the book of Galatians, uh, the fifth chapter, uh, it it reads right in the beginning of that chapter, uh, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And that goes for all kinds of burdens, including financial burdens. Yes,
1: that's right. And Paul writes about the, uh, he writes some pretty radical things on this, but he says, if the one who will gather won't gather too much, then the one who can only gather little won't have too little. There will be enough. And it's the vision of, the communion table—that yeah. there's enough for everybody. We all share
0: together. So it's go, a, go, and t- if you're a church member, take a good look at your church budget and ask: How much money do we collect in this church that is used to keep the church going, and how much of this money is used to help poor people as Jesus instructed yeah, and us? Yeah, I think to it's do. a
1: fair question for any uh, nonprofit or uh, NGO, any organization or charity we give to, to say: What does the CEO make? And, yeah. and what, where, where is my money going? You know, how much yeah. of it's going directly to people yeah. in need?
0: And uh, uh, on that note, I want to promote both Compassion International and World Vision, not only here in the United States, but uh, in the United Kingdom. And uh, they have a very good record of how much money is spent keeping the organization going.
1: Not many private jets.
0: Yep. <laughs> and how much money is spent in helping poor people. I believe it's 83% of the money that is given is used directly for poor people. This is Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne closing out a show entitled From Across the Pond. We've been talking about Common Change, a program uh, with which Shane has been highly identified. There in the United Kingdom, go to uh, www.commonchangeuk and become part of the sharing community of the household of God. God bless and bye-bye.